Hey, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much for listening. Good morning, Joliet First, and happy Father's Day to all of our fathers in here. Um, I was just telling our earlier service this morning, um, you know, one of the things that I love as being a father is that I love being a father first. I'm a follower of Jesus first, but then I'm a father first before I'm a pastor or anything else. And I think it's so easy for us, especially as men, and if we're driven, that um, it is easy for us to focus on our careers and everything else but our kids. And it's always a reminder that um, I'm the only dad to my kids, that I will always only be the only dad to my kids, and that this is a gift God has given me as a father to my kids. And um, some days it's joyful, and some days it's a struggle, and some days, you know, I just want to walk away from it, and other days it's like, man, I am so lucky to have the kids that I have. And then you got people like uh, Pastor Todd, who over here is an amazing father, and I just wish I could be half the father he is, Um, but man, he's just great with kids, and you know, I'm jealous of that, and um, strive to be like him when I grow up, if I ever grow up. Uh, But I just want to say to you, just a reminder, dads, thank you for, for being you, and whether you're a great grandpa or whether your kids are graduating or wherever you are in the stage of fatherhood, uh, you are still their father. You are always their father and you are their father first. And I would say um, continue, continue to be present and to love your kids as much as you do. So thank you for being dads. If you don't know, we are in a series. If you've missed it, we've been in a series called The Good and Beautiful Community. Uh, We are in part four this week and we've been saying this. We feel it's uh, important to address this idea that so many of us believe our faith is about God and me. That it's about a personal relationship with Jesus. And that is true, but it is only partially true. Because so often we turn it into God and me. And we don't feel like it's necessary to show up at church or to be part of a community or to be part of an organization that's learning to grow together in this relationship with God. And so we've been saying this, that a personal relationship with God can't thrive without people. That a personal relationship with God can't thrive without Without people, sure, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Like, you asked me that question, I'm going to tell you no. You can be a Christian without going to church. But the chances of you surviving your faith and living it well are next to none when you have no one in your life to help you with it. And so we believe that as we journey together as a community and as a church, we're striving, we're striving to determine what it means to be good and beautiful. And so we've been discussing practices over the last few weeks on what makes a good and beautiful community. And as Debbie already said, uh, everyone serves one. Uh, last week was everyone serves one. So if you're not serving yet, we believe everybody should serve somewhere and we want you to get involved. And so this week I'm excited because, and it's timely, we are talking about a Christ centered community. Now, before you um, tune out, because that's all you hear, let me just say this. Uh, It's really juicy, and um, we're talking about fighting, so let's pray, shall we? Lord, we do give thanks for this time. I pray that you would be in this time of teaching, and that your words would ring true and clear to us. I pray that we would be challenged in every way to be Christ-centered, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Well, Janelle was a freshman at college, and um, she had some extended family who had a friend, and they said, hey, we think you would like this young lady, and so we, we think you should room with her. And so they set up a, um, a roommate date. I don't know if that's possible, but in the summer, they met over for you know a couple minutes over coffee or whatever, and they decided that, hey, we should get together because our family friends, extended family, said we should do it. And so uh, they roomed together the first year, and if you've been to college and you've lived on campus, you know this right you know this your first year either you hate your roommate you hate your roommate or you stay with your roommate it's one or the other there is no middle ground you hate them or you stay with them you forfeit the first year or you stay with them all four years and um, it kind of went so so their first year so they went a little bit beyond the average of forfeiting the first year and they made it into year two their sophomore year well and that's important here's why many of you know that in 2001 of December a uh, I'm just going to call it a movie. I'm not going to call it a great movie. You'll disagree with me here. But a movie came out in December of 2001 called um, Lord of the Rings. That's right. Lord of the Rings. You remember this. And um, I really struggle with fiction and I struggle with fantasy because if it doesn't pertain to what's going on in the real world, I just really don't see the need to, to go and watch it. And I know some of you are cringing as I say this. Um, so I thought, hey, everybody's talking about how good this movie is. Everybody's talking about how great it is. And so I took Janelle on this hot date to Lord of the Rings. I don't know if that's hot, but we went. And I'm sitting there like in the hour three Three hours into the movie, I don't know like, if they even make four-hour movies anymore, but it's a four-hour movie. Three hours into it, I am like bored out of my mind. I mean, I'm sorry, but my English, freshman year of English, they made us read um, the whole Hobbit thing, and I wasn't into that. But apparently people are uh, living in Hobbit holes and cool stuff like that. And I was just bored. And so I leaned over to Janelle, and I said, and I could see that she was watching intently, and I didn't want to ruin the date for her or the movie. Um, but man, I couldn't handle it anymore. And so I just leaned over and I said, are, are you enjoying this? She said, no, I'm actually really bored as well. Let's go do what college kids do. No, she didn't say that at all. Um, but she just said she was bored. And so I, you know, we left the movie, and I took her back to her apartment, and uh, I went home. And that was the end of the date. And I, I say all that to say, you're like, how, put this together for me. Okay, here you go. Well, th that next week, she shows up in her apartment after a long day of school. She's tired, exhausted. She walks into her room and posted all over the room are pictures from Lord of the Rings. You know, you've got Frodo, and you've got Gollum, and you've got Bilbo, and I don't know who came up with that name, but that is the goofiest name I've ever heard in the world. Bilbo, I mean, I'm going to name my kid that, uh, Bilbo. Come here, Bilbo. It's like, you know, never want, I won't even go there. But anyway, there's all these pictures of all these characters and scenes from the movie, and her, her roommate, who apparently loved the movie so much, she went and saw it three or four times, had had printed pictures and put them all over the room and there's nothing like wizards hanging over your bed when you go to bed and it's just kind of creepy but apparently she loved it and was talking about what it would be like to be a hobbit and everything else and you know Janelle's looking all over and she says to her um where did you print all these pictures to which she responded well I, I wanted to tell you, I wanted to talk to you about that um I used your printer, and you're out of ink, so anytime you could go to the store and get some more ink so I could print some more pictures, that would be fa fantastic. And you know if you've had a printer in your life that cartridges aren't cheap. You know, 40, 50, 60 bucks for a cartridge, and in college, that's a lot of money. And so Janelle was like, 
Uh, this, is, this is it. This is like the last straw. And, and of course, their relationship was interesting. She would always make weird comments. She once told Janelle, uh, you're too smart to be a teacher. Why don't you go do something important with your life, like be a doctor? Or, I know, and we have a lot of educators in here. And Janelle was a great educator for six years, and now she's teaching again. But it was like, seriously? Like, teaching's not important? Like, I didn't know you could be too smart to teach other people. And so it really didn't end well, and you could see it from a mile away. But it got to the point where it was like, hey, we're just going to agree to disagree. And, of course, she moved out, and she got a new roommate. And we're just going to have to agree to disagree. And my guess is, and if you, you know, had a week like mine, my guess is you've had this experience in life too. Like, um, many of you are White Sox fans, and you're married to Cubs fans, and I feel bad for you. Um, I, you know, I'm sorry, but when you got married, you just said, hey, we're going to have to agree to disagree. Or maybe you've been dating somebody, or you were dating somebody, and you said, let's go to college together. And then they picked the college, and you're like, mm, not going to work for me. We're going to have to agree to disagree. Marriages, right? Marriages, we're always trying to work those out. It seems like it's never ending trying to figure out, you know, who's going to do this, who's going to do that. Uh, how many kids are we going to have? I mean, some of us can't even agree on how many kids we want to have, and so we just agree to disagree. Um, if you work for a living, most of us do, um, you think your boss is a nimwit and that they don't know how to run a company and that if you were running the company, it would look even better. And so you always just agree to disagree. And the, the thing that we do, though, when we disagree is most important. How we respond when we dif disagree with people is most important. In fact, we do two things. We either work it out or we walk away. Right? Come on. Most of the time, we just walk away. It's easier for us to walk away because we don't want to work it out. In fact, if you never see that person again, you'd be okay with that. But the truth is, when we respond, so many of us just walk away instead of working it out. And so the question is, do we, do we, do we walk away or we, do we work it out? And I would say this, as a community, as a church, as people who come together every week, it is inevitable, inevitable that we will disagree. I know you're shocked. I can hear the amazement. But we will disagree. Right, it's no shock that when people gather together, uh, there are messes. I mean, church would be easy without people. If nobody showed up and nobody was around, church would be easy. But it's not, because we bring people who have experiences, they have past, they have hurts, and they have preferences. And those things tend to get in the way of relationships. I mean, come on, you have people here, you just look around, and there's probably a good chance that you don't like some of the people sitting next to you. Let's just be honest, you probably don't like them. And that's okay. And that's okay. And the truth is, is maybe you disagree with me or disagree with the way things happen at the church. You don't like the paint colors. You don't like the programs. You don't like the music. You may, I mean, we all disagree at some point. But the big question I want us to wrestle with is how do we respond? How do we respond when we disagree with each other? Because it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And are you more adamant about making a beautiful community and sticking with it and working it out? Or you simply say, I don't like that. I don't like you. I don't like the way things are being done. I'm just going to walk away. 
And so today, uh, we need some help with this. We need a good story to move us along in this question, in this quest for what it means to be a good and beautiful community. And so there's this wonderful story written by a man named John. And some of you are familiar with John. He was one of Jesus' closest followers. And what I love about John is that he tells us about an argument that took place between Jesus and one of his followers. I know, you're amazed. Like, you can actually push back and disagree and argue with Jesus? Yes, it happened. People did it. And John is here today to tell us about it. And what's great, what's great is he places this argument in succession. It's a sequel to what we experienced last week. In other words, um, Jesus is in his final hours. They're sitting at a table, and he is sharing his prized wisdom with his disciples. You know, kind of like when your loved one's dying and they're sharing the wisdom of life with you and you're hanging on to every word. And if you remember last week, um, they're arguing over who's going to get grandma's china when Jesus dies. I mean, it's like, who's going to be the most favorable? Who's next in line? Who's going to be, and the big question was, the greatest? Who is the greatest among us? And then if things didn't get any messier in the middle of this, I mean, it's, it's Jesus' final hour. Your loved one is about to die. Um, this one guy named Judas just gets up and he walks out. And Jesus is okay with it. He's like, go do your thing, my man. Go get it done. And Jesus knew that he was about to be done because of what was being done. And he was okay with that. And so this whole table, this dinner, this gathering is like a family meal. It's messy and it's ugly. And there's disagreements happening all over. And so John tells us about another disagreement that happens around the table. There's a massive disagreement that takes place. And so he starts using Jesus's words. And here's what he says. He says, my children, (laughs) I love how he says that, Kids, 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 listen, I'm only going to be with you for a little longer. Only a few more hours, a few more days. I need you to pay attention. I've told you this repeatedly. You keep bickering. You keep fighting. We're in the middle of arguments. Come on, let's get it together. I need to rein you in. He says, I'm going to be with you just a little bit longer. And you will look for me. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot go. You cannot come with me. And so Jesus makes like a 180 on him in the middle of this. He tells him, you're going somewhere. I, you know, you can't go with me. And hello, we're wondering where he's going. And then he says, a new command I give you. Love one another. And I know you're like, this is a pretty straightforward message. No, it's not. (laughs) We're going to get there. He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then he continues, by this... By the way that you love other people, people will know that you are followers of me. People will know that you have agreed to follow this man who has changed the trajectory of the world by the way that you love each other. And so (laughs) Peter is like, enough of the bait and switch, Jesus. Like, let's get back to the first point. You've been talking about love this whole time. Let's get back to the first point. Uh, And he asked him, where are you going? Where are you going? And Jesus replies, where I'm going, I've already told you this. You can't follow me now, but you will follow me later. And Peter said, Lord, why can't I follow you now? He says, I will lay down my life for you. 
I'll lay down my life for you. To which Jesus responds, and this is my favorite. Will you really? Come on, you've met these people in your life. They lie to your face. They're going to say they're going to do something, and they don't do anything they said they're going to do. Hey, I'll do this for you, or I'll help you out with this, or you know what? They'll they'll tell you how great you are to your face, or they'll actually, um, you know, just whatever. They just lie about everything that they do. And when they tell you they're going to do something, and they've not done it for so long, you look at them, and you're like, come on, will you really do this? And, and Jesus looks at Peter, and he says, will you really Lay down your life for me. He says, very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me. I love that. You will disown me three times. I want to stop here because this is important. There's such a subtle point that needs to be made. It's not in the text, but it's subtle to what's going on and to this understanding of what happens when we disagree. I find it interesting that gathered around a table is Jesus, his disciples, John, who is the mediator between Peter and Jesus while they're having this argument. And you can sense it. They're having this argument about will Peter really follow Jesus? And they're having this huge argument. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to do it. Or Peter's saying, I'm going to do it. And Jesus says, no, you're not. And you can just feel the tension rising in the room. You can feel it rising in the room. But with all these people gathered around, I want you to know, they are still sitting and eating together. That even in the middle of this disagreement that Peter and Jesus are going through, even though they don't see eye to eye and Peter doesn't like what Jesus is saying about him, and he's kind of firing back at Jesus and saying, I'll go all the way with you, Lord. I don't care if I die. They're still together in the middle of it. And and I would say this, that we've kind of lost this practice. We've lost this understanding in life that it's this, that it's healthy to be with people we disagree It is healthy to be with people we disagree with. And here's how I know that. We live in a world of polarization. You've you've heard the language, either you're with us or you're against us. Either you're for so-and-so or you're against so-and-so. And you can hear the language back and forth, back and forth. And there's this wonderful author named Bill Bishop who argues who argues that we have become a polarized community, a polarized world in such a way that we will silence, we will silence any disagreement or any dissent. We just silence it because we don't want to mess with it. We just walk away from it. We wash our hands of it and say, nope. And so here's what we do. We listen to politics that agree with us. We read stuff that we like to read. And we listen to sermons that make sense to us, even though we, you know, we want to listen to sermons that, that we agree with theologically. We would never consider listening to somebody who's off the rails. I mean, you just listen, and you're with people who constantly affirm what you believe and who you are. And it's this constant feedback or this constant loop of, this is who I am, this is who I am, This is who I am. And if anybody gets in the way, don't get near me. And he even argues in the book, and he tells us that in 1976, during the election, he says 25% 
25% of the counties within the United States were landslide victories, which meant that there were people who didn't have the same beliefs, who didn't have the same religion, who didn't have the same race, who didn't come from the, the same socioeconomic status. All these people were living together and they were okay with it. They were okay with it. But in our most recent election, I don't know if you know this, but in, in all the counties in the United States, 80% of them, 80% were landslide victories, which means we have stopped gathering around people who are different than us, who look different than us, who talk different than us, who believe different than us, who politically disagree with us. We've stopped living with those people, and we've found ourselves in homogenous cultures and communities and I think it's made us anemic to the ability to handle disagreements. We've really become dysfunctional when it comes to handling disagreements. And it's a major problem, not just for our world, but that stuff creeps into here. And honestly, honestly, my experience within the church has always been, always been, that if we disagree, that's all right. We'll just walk away. We just walk away from it. And I don't know. I don't know that that is the best reflection of Christ and his love for his people when we walk away. In fact, I think God is excited when we get honest and we pull up to a table and we become healthier when we are with people we disagree with because we're open, we're growing, and we're learning and you're working on you. You're working on the inside of you. And you're expanding your thought and your mind to other possibilities and realities. It's healthy to be with people we disagree. So many of you know the story continues, right? It doesn't take long for Peter to go out and totally prove that Jesus was right. In fact, um, the guy that left earlier named Judas tells and rats out where Jesus is. They take him down to the courthouse and Peter's outside hanging at the courthouse having marshmallows with some teenage girl. She's like, hey, you want some s'mores? And he's like, yeah, I'll take one. And they're roasting marshmallows next to a campfire. And John tells us about the campfire because that's important to the story. So they're roasting marshmallows and she says, are you enjoying it? And he says, yeah, I'd like another one. And so she says, will you pass me uh, a, a, a gram? And so he leans over to get this this gram from this young lady and another marshmallow and, and she catches a glimpse of his face and she says to him, hey, I know you. You're, you're one of the followers of the guy that's up at the courthouse right now, aren't you? And, you know, Peter shoves his mouth full of, of marshmallows. You know, Chubby Bunny, y'all played that game? Chubby Bunny, you, can't, you see how much you can talk with as many marshmallows in your mouth. Nobody, nobody here has played this? Come on, we got to have some fun sometime. Come over to my house, we'll play Chubby Bunny. But Peter's playing Chubby Bunny because he doesn't want to tell. He doesn't want to tell this young girl, no, I don't know him. So he kind of, you know, he's like full mouthing it. And so she asked him again, I'm sorry, sir. I didn't hear what you said. I, I couldn't quite understand you over the marshmallow. Could you say it again? Do you know this guy? And he's like, no, I don't know him. And you know the story. Three times, Peter says, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. And Peter runs off into the darkness, and you can, you can just see it. He finds himself alone, but the problem is he's been around a campfire where he totally disowns Jesus. And you, you've been around a campfire, right? Your clothes begin to smell like the campfire, and Peter smells this campfire smell on his body, and it is the aroma of disownment. 
It is the aroma of denial. In fact, it's a reminder to Peter that we ended our relationship with disagreement. That here I am having dinner with Jesus, and the next minute we're standing there and we're disagreeing about something, and we end, we ended our relationship on disagreement. Come on, you've had people in your life that you love so much, whether it's a spouse or kids or people or friends, you've had disagreements, and when you walk out, when you get down the road, even though you think you're right, come on, you've had that feeling in your life that says, if this ends today, if my life ends today, I would never never want it to end this way. I would never, never want for us to have this disagreement or this chasm or this gap or this, this, just this blockade that's keeping us from a good relationship. And so Peter's sensing this. And that campfire on his clothes is a constant reminder of his disownment and the disagreement that he had with Jesus. And what's fun is John, who is telling us this entire story, ends his account of Jesus' life and then comes back years later to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, there's one story that I want to tell, there's one story I want to come back to, because if we don't get this right, if I don't tell this story, people will never understand or figure out how this disagreement was solved. And so he talks about how Peter goes out fishing one day and he's with his disciples. And all of a sudden when he's fishing, this cloud of smoke begins to billow across the lake. And as Peter is casting his nets, he gets this whiff or this smell of a campfire. Come on, you you remember smells of past maybe it was a girlfriend's cologne or I don't know what it was or a a stuffy house that you've been into and it's a reminder of where you've been or the past and this campfire comes wafting in and Peter smells it and immediately it's like I hate this smell because it's a reminder for him that he disowned Jesus and that he ended his relationship in disagreement with Jesus And that when he walked away, he knew there wasn't something right in his life. So as he smells this smell, he hears somebody say, Hey, have y'all caught anything today? I hate when people do that when I'm fishing. It's like, would you shut up? I'm trying to catch fish. And as long as you're talking, they're going to hear you and they're going to swim away. So, you know, you know, he's Jesus is on the sidelines yelling, Hey, have you caught anything? And Peter says, No, we haven't. And then he recognizes through the smoke and through this campfire, and I find it interesting that the campfire is always between Jesus and Peter. Again, the the reminder of disownment. Jesus says, come on over. I've got some fish already. Put down your nets. So Peter gets out of the boat. He's the first one there. They have some fish. This is when the story gets really good. After they're done eating their meal... And Peter's got this sense of, man, are we going to get this right? Are we going to figure this out? I hope that we can have resolution. I hope that there's forgiveness. I hope, I'm just hopeful that something good is going to happen. And so Jesus says to him, Simon, son of John, in other words, that's a long name for Peter. Do you love me more than these? 
Peter, do you love me more than these? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says, well, go ahead. I need you to feed my lambs. And so he says again, Jesus says to him, he says, Simon, son of John. In other words, Peter, do you love me? This is round two, round two of do you love me? And he answers, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, great, take care of my sheep. And then Jesus says again to him, Simon, son of John, Peter, do you love me? And I love how John gives this detail. He says, Peter was hurt. Peter was so hurt. Come on, you've been in those conversations when you've been trying to rectify a situation and you thought it was going to go well and all of a sudden it's not going so well. And the more you try and the harder you try and the more you say the right things, the more you recognize this isn't going to end well. And Peter is feeling that way. Come on, you've already asked me twice. You've asked me a third time. And John tells us Peter is hurt because he thinks resolution is not on the horizon. But he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? I do find it interesting that after the disagreement, Peter disowns Jesus. And I think it is so true that whenever we are in disagreement with other people, we just simply disown them. The most non-human thing we could do. Because when we disagree with people, we don't want to see the human side of them. We don't want to experience the pain of working out a relationship. It's easier for us to walk away. And that's what Peter did. He disowns Jesus. He walks away from the relationship three times. He says, I don't know that guy. That's what happens when we disagree with people. We just disown them. And I think Jesus asked Peter three times... As a reminder to him, hey, Peter, do you remember when we disagreed, you walked away? Three times you disowned me. Three times you walked away. And he asked Peter three times, do you love me? Not only as a reminder of what he had done, but also as a way of centering, centering Peter on what was now important. And he asked him, do you love me? And this is the point. Our love for Jesus is what centers us. Our love for Jesus is what centers us. And so Jesus says to Peter, I know you, you got it wrong, but we're going to make it right. And where we start is this acknowledgement that you simply love me. And if you can start there, if you can start there, then you can solve any disagreement that you have with anybody else. In fact, Jesus tells them what's funny. In their fight, they were both right. Because Peter ends up going to his death, and he ends up going to people. And as Jesus tells them, you will go where you don't want to go. And Peter does it. But Peter does it only because of this. Yes, Lord, I do love you. 
This is the focal point. This is the centering. This is where it starts. And Peter goes to people that he disagrees with philosophically, culturally, theologically. He shows up in every disagreement with the entire world. And he says, this is going to be the starting point for all of us. This was the starting point in the disagreement that I had with my Savior. And even though he was right and we were kind of both right, this is what is right. We both have love for Jesus. And so he says, whether we agree culturally, whether you like the way I eat my food, or whether you like the beliefs that I have about who God is, at the end of the day, we're going to disagree. But it starts with Jesus centering us. So I want to ask you this question. Who do you love? Who do you love? I think of John and Peter and Jesus were standing here today. They would point to Jesus and they'd say, like, this is the most important question that Jesus ever asked us. This is where it starts. And Jesus would stand up here and he'd say to you, do you love me? And I just would say this. I'm kind of going off script here, but I would just say this. If you don't love Jesus or follow Jesus, listen, that's okay. It is all about a journey. But my guess is, my guess is there is a struggle for you in many of the relationships that you have. And the reason why you struggle to resolve relationships, to deal with relationships, to come to an agreement in a relationship, even though you may disagree, is because you're solving it your own way. It's my way or the highway. And that's why we live in broken communities. And that's why we live in broken relationships. And that's why we can't solve problems is because it starts with Jesus, and without him, you'll never get where you want to go. And I would say this, that if we are a Christ-centered community, if our love for Jesus is what centers us, then we will always find ourselves at the feet of those who oppose us. This is the whole point. We like to say around here, whatever you seek becomes the center of who you are. And if you are centered and seeking after God's love, then guess what? Wherever you go, you will always find yourselves at the feet of those people who oppose you, even people in this community. And this is my challenge for us. This is what God is saying to us and to each of us, is that when we have disagreements, are we going to work it out or are we going to walk away? Are we going to work it out or are we going to walk away? See, a good, a good and beautiful community knows and they'll commit to working it out before they'll walk away. But the starting point for you and the starting point for me and the starting point for all of us, wherever we are in life, is that I love Jesus and you love Jesus. I follow Jesus and you follow Jesus. And so whether we agree on carpet, paint, programs, people, or whatever, or whether you don't like me or I don't like you, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Because our love for Christ is what centers us. A Christ-centered community.
And the reason why we ask for that, and the reason why we say this is the starting point, is because this is what creates unity within the community. This is the key to community. In fact, unity, unity is not a denial of our differences. It's reconciling our differences. I like that definition. Unity is not, it is reconciling our differences. It's not denying our differences. And so here's what I want you to do this week. Here's where I want you to start. In your own personal life, I want you to ask the question, do I really, 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 really love him? Do I love him? And if so, then we go to step two, which is, I can't deal with these people. They are obnoxious. They drive me crazy. We're always in fights. It seems like I just rather just give up. And at the end of the day, I want you, I want you to begin to pray for the people that drive you nuts, that you disagree with, that you want to walk away from. It starts, it starts with prayer. So here's what I would encourage you to do. I want you to take a sticky note and I want you to put it on your, uh, your, your mirror when you get ready in the morning, whether you're shaving your face or your armpits or whatever else. Um, I want you to have that in the mirror and I want you to look at it every morning and I want you to say, Lord, as I meet with this person today, would you give me the wisdom? Would you give me the clarity? Would you give me the direction? And would you give me the, remember this, love for the other. Love one another. So I will be a follower. So people will know that I'm your disciple. And so that we can solve whatever problem we have. I tell you what, half of my problem is trying to solve problems with me and with my mind. And my guess is you struggle with that as well. You enter into a conversation with somebody else you don't necessarily like. And the first response is your response. Not his response. And so I would ask you today, start with prayer and let his words with the centering of Christ, your love for him, be the starting point as you move into the relationship. The other thing I want you to do this week is I want you to make a phone call, send a text message. I know it seems really crazy, but maybe even have dinner with a person that you're disagreeing with. And I get it. It's a lot of work to clean your house, and I get it. It's a lot of work to cook food, and I get it. You're probably begrudgingly making it as you make it, knowing that this is not going to be fun for me. But come on, we've got to reconcile this. We've got to make it right. It's where it starts for us. If we're going to move forward as a church, if we're gonna continue the mission that God has for us, those are the kind of people that we have to be. If we're ever gonna do anything for this community, if we're ever gonna change lives, if we're ever gonna to grow to where I think God wants us to grow and wants us to be, it will start with people who work it out instead of walking away. And we will always start at our love for Jesus because that is the mission that others would know him. So this morning, 
I would love for us to come forward and to center ourselves around something that unites us. Many of you know that one of our practices here, one of the things we love to do is we love to gather at this table. If you're serving communion, would you come forward this morning? But the reason why we come here, the reason why we step out of these pews and the reason why we step up here this morning, it's our way of saying, no matter how I feel about you, no matter how you feel about me, at the end of the day, this is where we start. This is where it begins. This is where we center our hearts. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for, thank you for the beauty of messes around us and the disagreements that we have. We thank you that these are challenges for us. They're not something that we walk away from, but it's something that you push us into. And you say, if you want to be an example of my love to the world, work it out. So this morning we come forward and as we receive your grace that you've offered us on the cross and that you did for us when you resurrected from the dead, as we receive this this morning, may this be the moving part of who we are. May it make us uncomfortable. May it move us to be in places where we find ourselves at the feet of people who oppose us. And may we become a healthy community because we will sit with people that we disagree with. It's in Jesus' name we pray.